Olá pessoal, tudo bem? Welcome to the Brazil Crypto Report podcast, where we talk to the builders, entrepreneurs, influencers from across the Brazil crypto ecosystem. I'm your host, Aaron Stanley, and today I'm joined by Kristen Macher, who's a senior correspondent for Latin America at The Block. Welcome, Kristen. Hi, Aaron. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. So to get us started, why don't you tell us a bit about The Block and what you do there? Sure. So The Block is a website where we cover news and we also cover research about the whole crypto ecosystem as well as fintech. And I cover Latin America. So I'm responsible for covering everything happening in Brazil, as well as all of the other countries in the region. So really any development that's happening in Latin America, I'm taking a look at that and covering the news and also doing some deeper dives into feature stories about certain trends in the region. So tell us a bit about your story. Like, how did you get involved in crypto? How did you get involved in crypto journalism in Latin America? I actually spent most of my career thus far writing about aviation and travel. It's an interesting switch that I made from that topic to crypto. But really the way I got into writing about crypto was because I used to work at MIT Technology Review. And one of my colleagues was Mike Orkut, who is an editor at The Block. At the time when I first started writing about crypto, this must have been 2018 or 2019, I think 2019, which in crypto years, I don't know if that's a long time or a short time, but <laughs> it was a few years ago. It was really funny because Mike was covering crypto for technology review. I actually didn't know that much about it, except for reading his articles and hearing what my friends had to say about it. One day I was in Buenos Aires because I was living in Buenos Aires at the time in Argentina. I was waiting for the subway and I saw this advertisement and it was an advertisement for the exchange Ripio. At that time, there weren't advertisements everywhere for crypto like there are now. There was no crypto.com arena, nothing like that. At the time, Argentina was this place where people were really waiting to see if mainstream adoption would happen there. So I'm just sitting in the subway and look up and there's this ad for Ripio and they had this cute little illustration with a piggy bank that I think had wings or something. It was, it was kind of a whimsical illustration. And I texted Mike and I was like, hey, I, I saw this crypto ad in the subway in Buenos Aires. It seems kind of interesting. I've never seen a crypto ad before. I ended up writing a story for Tech Review about stablecoins in Argentina. That was really the first story that I wrote about crypto. Um, but then at some point, I became a crypto reporter, kind of accidentally. I think that happens when you start writing about something and then somehow you become an expert, especially even though I don't consider myself an expert necessarily, but you know, once you start writing about crypto and you get into it, I think you just find that the stories keep coming, right? So I wrote about crypto as a freelancer after that and started writing a little bit more about Brazil. Eventually I came on board full-time at the block last August. And this was right before El Salvador made crypto legal tender and the block was trying to understand this market. So I ended up starting full-time at the block and it's been really great and it's been really fun. But yeah, I, I 
grew up in Ohio, actually. I went to school at Ohio University Journalism School. I eventually found my way to crypto. Yeah, I can totally relate to that where back in the, the early years, 2017, 18, 19, it was kind of like if you were a journalist and you had a byline or two about crypto, you sort of became like this crypto expert. <laughs> People would be you all kind of ridiculous stuff. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was an interesting time, right? Where you just had to sort of stay like one or two steps ahead of your readers in terms of like, what is, like, what is this technology, right? Yeah, so it's uh, hasn't maybe hasn't changed too much today, but it's it's incredible how just quickly things have gone. Just two or three years ago, seeing an ad on a on a Buenos Aires subway for crypto, and now it's football stadiums named after crypto exchanges and whatnot. So <laughs> things are moving pretty quick. It's crazy, and I think in Argentina, it made a lot of sense because if you've ever been to Argentina, it's a place where just doing basic things sometimes can be difficult. Like people are really good at making workarounds, especially when it comes to money because there's currency controls and Argentina is very focused on the dollar. Um, you can pretty much walk down the street and a person on the street can probably tell you how much the value of the dollar has changed in the past few days. So it was a really interesting experience to see that. And I could see it happening in Argentina, but to see all of these arenas, all of these sports deals with crypto sponsorships, it's pretty wild, I have to say. So it's it's been a really interesting topic to cover and kind of accidentally get into and then really exciting to see that evolve. I mean, I'd love to get your thoughts. This is a Brazil podcast, obviously. So I'd love to kind of get some thoughts on like the recent news out of Brazil, and then maybe we can kind of pivot how that fits into the broader Latam region, Argentina. Colombia, where you're based, obviously El Salvador is, is El Salvador, right? Very important. Panama passed a new crypto law as well. So lots going on in the region. You know, starting with Brazil specifically, so we have crypto legislation that's working its way through Congress. Uh, CZ and Binance made a big splash in the country a couple months ago. Coinbase is making some big moves. I mean, what do you see as you know most interesting about what's happening in Brazil right now? I think the interesting thing about Brazil is almost everybody I talk to in terms of working for crypto exchanges or even in fintech, cites Brazil as a place where they want to expand or where they want to spend money. You know, for example, Bitso, uh, the exchange that grew up in Mexico, has really been focusing on Brazil. We're seeing all of these newer exchanges or at least new to Brazil exchanges uh, wanting to expand. Uh, in the country, which I think is really interesting. So I think that this interest in Brazil has really been building over the past year or two. And it makes sense that this type of legislation is in play and seems like it could be passed soon. Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that if you agree, but it's, you know, it seems like it has a chance of finally passing. You know, Brazil has been working on crypto legislation since I believe 2015, several years, it seems like all of this is coming to a head and really the interest in the country is at an all-time high in crypto. So the way I see this regulation is that finally there will be some kind of guidance for how these exchanges operate. And there's also going to be a more clear definition of what digital assets are and crimes associated with fraud or pyramid schemes in crypto. So I think that 
Brazil is seeing unprecedented interest, at least since I've been covering it in terms of crypto. And now with these regulations, I think the exchanges will have some more clarity on how to operate there. You know, I think there's this quote, which I'm sure you've probably heard of, it's Brazil is not for beginners, right? And it's this idea that Brazil is a place that many of us don't really know about, or, you know, I, I think people are very familiar with Brazil as a culture and, you know, some, some of the cultural aspects, but in terms of the day-to-day -day and what goes on in Brazil, I think that it's a little bit separated from Latin America, not just because of the language, but just because it's such a big country and Brazil passing this type of legislation would be really big for the region because Brazil is such an important banking hub. And in terms of finance, it's really the center of everything in Latin America. So I, I think they've been working on this for a very long time and bringing people to Brazil and trying to expand and hiring people. It makes sense that they're ready to pass this type of law. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the consensus is that this legislation is going to pass. I mean, there's no real stringent opposition at this point. The, the all indications are that it will pass sometime this quarter for midsummer here. This legislation is good for the larger, more established exchanges and businesses that can comply with these new rules. It's probably not so good for startups and more kind of buccaneering sort of operations. It's probably not very good for you know pyramid scheme operators, uh, which is you know probably a good thing. <laughs> so no legislation is perfect. My hunch and and I think probably the you know the consensus across the industry you know, loosely speaking, because I don't want to, you know, make any broad, overly generalistic statements here, but is that this is a positive thing. Uh, it will give clarity to, to operators who are, who are doing business in the country. It'll give clarity to foreign operators and service providers that want to enter into the country and do business there because it's such a large market, like you mentioned. I do think like all this, a lot of kind of devil in the details dynamics going on here where it seems like fairly boring legislation, which, which is good. Obviously, a lot of the actual rulemaking happens within like the regulatory body that's assigned to oversee this industry. So that's so that's where the rubber will meet the road eventually. So I mean, I've heard talks, rumors that this that there might be some elements of this that are unconstitutional, and that it, this might end up at the Supreme Court and things of that nature. So I don't think we're out of the woods yet. That's probably a subject of another podcast <laughs> with an expert because I'm I'm no no Brazil constitutional expert, but. But I think I do think that is generally speaking, it's a positive signal, right? You know, this country is ready to do business essentially, and we're we're ready to embrace this new industry, accept it as a legitimate thing. But you know, I think that the question is like, okay, is the way this is set up? Does it just end up becoming a heavily consolidated, almost like olig oligopolistic industry, similar to the Brazilian banking industry? I'd like to say a quick thank you to our partner for this episode, the HBAR Foundation. HBAR Foundation works to support growth across the Hedera Hashgraph ecosystem. If you're an entrepreneur in Brazil or the LATAM region, and you have a cool project or idea that needs some help scaling or just getting started, I highly recommend taking a look at these guys. They have several different grant funds in operation that are seeding projects across DeFi, FinTech, NFTs, and sustainability. And they've got a lot of other resources to help you out on your journey. So please do head over to hbarfoundation.org to take a look and learn more. So given what you what you mentioned earlier, just about some of the differences between 
Brazil and the rest of Spanish-speaking Latin America, I'd, I'd be interested in your perspective as a journalist or what is different about covering Brazil, crypto in Brazil or, or Brazil generally vis-a-vis some of the other Spanish-speaking markets in the region. I think that to some extent, of course, the language plays into it. I can read Portuguese. I'm taking lessons to speak Portuguese, but but it, you have to relearn how to say all of these words, as you probably know, um, if you speak Spanish, because there's a lot of differences in uh, pronunciation and things like that. So, I mean, to one extent, I, I guess language is a barrier, but I actually don't think that it's that big of a barrier. I think it's knowing kind of what you said earlier about how these processes work, how the Senate works, how laws are made. I know that this law, for example, was supposed to be voted on by the full Senate before and it got delayed. And just figuring out why it was delayed and working through that was a little bit challenging. And one of my colleagues actually speaks Portuguese perfectly, uh, natively. And, you know, even she was a little confused by uh, some of the legal terms. So I think that if, if you're outside of Brazil, I think that sometimes it can be a little bit challenging to know what's really going on. And from a policy and regulatory standpoint, just knowing how the sausage is made, really, and knowing how all of these different Uh, parts of the government work together or don't work together when it comes to um, crypto. And I think that, you know, Brazil is a place where it's really its own part of Latin America. So if you're not familiar with Brazilian culture, I think, or, or just the way that things work there, it can be sometimes challenging to figure out what's, what's really going on. So obviously the way that you get around that is to just talk to people. Um, I mean, I've actually, talk to the government there and they've been pretty timely with their responses and providing information. So, and they speak English as well if needed. So all countries in Latin America, I think Brazil is a little bit different because it's such a big country and it's just, you just have to be there sometimes to know what's going on um, when it comes to some of these things. And, you know, we do, I think we do the best we can. I'm hoping to go to Brazil soon and spend some time there and do some reporting for my story. So hopefully that'll be coming in the next few months. But I think that something as well is that all of the countries in Latin America are different. Yes, they most of them have Spanish as their native language, but I think sometimes we tend to lump everything together. And honestly, it's a little bit difficult because, for example, I'm in Colombia, and even though it's in the same region as Peru or Argentina, here people aren't necessarily aware of the day-to-day and what's going on in Argentina or in Peru, right? Of course, there's international news that gets disseminated everywhere, but they're all different countries. They all have their own ways of making laws, of uh, adopting Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. They all have their own challenges. And so I think, you know, to some extent, yes, all of the Latin American countries face similar challenges, um, some more than others with inflation, um, with inequality and issues like that. But so I think it's one challenge of covering Latin America. And it's just more, it's more than just a language issue. It's, it's more of just knowing how a specific country works. So I try really hard to talk to as many people as I can in each country to get a sense of what's going on and to tell the story accurately, uh, but sometimes it, it can be difficult if you aren't based somewhere, right? So, you know, for example, in Argentina, I don't think I would have known about that story if I just hadn't been there um, in, in Argentina waiting for the subway. So, you know, I, I approach stories differently than I would if I was just, if I were just sitting in, 
Boston, where I used to live or sitting in New York, I think that you start to learn more about how people spend money and use money and what some of the challenges are um, that maybe you can't get unless you visit a place. I mean, crypto itself is like, in, it's an internet native industry, right? Where it, I mean, these are just, you know, we're all just trading computer coins and whatnot from our, our desks, wherever we are. So in a sense, it's like, it's not real. It's kind of like, it's geography agnostic, right? But like when you have this intersection between crypto and, you know, the real world, right? And especially in a region like Latin America, there's a bit more of a need for like kind of payments innovation and investment opportunities and things. And like, there's actually like real use cases for this stuff aside from just, you know, speculation. But yeah, it, it definitely helps to be able to actually talk to people and just see how people approach this stuff on a daily basis, uh, rather than just sort of rewriting, you know, a press release from, you know, my we office in a WeWork in New York. Uh, it, it's helpful to actually talk to people and figure out like what 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 they find most interesting about this. And I do think that across different countries in the region, you have there's different sort of monetary storylines, right? Where Brazil has been essentially without hyperinflation now for about 30 years since the Real Plan in the mid 90s, but Argentina, on the other hand, has been dealing with art with inflation you know pretty much you know non-stop right time right it's been kind of one crisis after the other so people in those countries i think have a bit of a different van especially the younger generations right like the younger generation in brazil the under 40 you know under 35 generation hasn't really like lived through a, a hyperinflationary episode where in argentina that's sort of you know everybody everybody gets the joke right my assumption at least is that people in these countries would you know, be approaching crypto slightly differently just based on their life experiences. Um, and I, I guess I'd be curious, you know, having, you've spent a lot of time in, in much more, more of these countries than I have. So I'd be curious as to your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I think what you said about Argentina is right. The way I see Argentina is just a lot of people trying to solve problems, you know, any way they can. In Argentina, there's more currency controls. So I believe this is still the case, but for example, each individual has a $200 limit to, to get dollars kind of in the official way. So what's happened is in the past few years, when the current president's Alberto Fernandez came in, blue dollar in Argentina, which is this alternate exchange rate that you get when you buy dollars on the streets, came back. In Argentina, one of the reasons why people use crypto is because there's just controls on currency for inflation that aren't present necessarily in other areas of the world or aren't as strong. So this restriction on buying dollars, for example, there were also some other laws about spending money uh, on transactions internationally and having taxes on those transactions as well. So there's a few different things that the government has done to control the currency considering the inflation, but it makes it hard for people to find a way out of the currency. So that's why crypto has taken off in Argentina. People have used stable coins for saving. There's now some cards that people use where you can save in a stable coin and then you know transfer it to um, Argentine pesos when you need to, when you pay for something. 
So I think that in Argentina, it's been really innovative and there's a lot of developers that live there. There's a lot of innovation around crypto in Argentina. And I think that that's just come out of a necessity for finding ways to solve problems. So I think it's actually really cool and really interesting to just meet people in Argentina who are working down there and working on these problems. And it's a whole community and they have meetup events and it seems like everybody knows one another. And what you said about crypto being online in a place like Argentina, I think you start to meet the people that you're talking to online and start forming communities. And it's a really interesting scene. And I think it's, it's really cool. So I think that in Argentina, the hypothesis that crypto was something that people needed to help them just live day to day, considering the inflation is something that has proven to be true. You know, I don't know if that's the case in every country, but I think in Argentina, there is a clear reason why crypto is important. Um, other countries are different. You know, here in Colombia, there has been some inflation, but it's not like it is in Argentina. And the prices tend to be more in check. It, you know, something that happens in Argentina is people really use the dollar as an idea of how much something should cost, even though it's not the official currency. So um, things can become expensive there. Um, I, I think in Colombia, um, there's less of that, but there's also a different history as a country and there's more controls on banks and bank accounts in Argentina and in Colombia, I think that both countries have uh, controls on, in Colombia, Colombia is a little different than Argentina. It's also not necessarily easy to get a bank account if you're from a different country, but the landscape is a bit different. The inflation hasn't been as high, even though there has been inflation. Um, so I think in Colombia, it seems like the banking industry is more conservative. Um, in Colombia, there's actually a really interesting pilot program that's happening right now between banks and exchanges. So that's really interesting. Bank Colombia um, has a partnership with Gemini. There's a few other exchanges like Buda and Bitso that are involved in this pilot as well. So I think in Colombia, they're taking an approach where perhaps it's more conservative, but they're also looking at crypto as well. It doesn't necessarily serve the same need and the need to, to save and with the same kind of urgency as in Argentina. You know, I think that there's different nuances to that. I, I wouldn't say that that's true all the time. You know, there's different ways to spend money and different ways to use money. Of course, it seems like the more time that you spend without saving your money in dollars, the more of a risk there is of just losing that money as inflation continues to, to go up. So I would say that it's a little bit different than in Colombia, but in Colombia, it's interesting because people are using crypto. Um, it's an important uh, crypto country, but it's not as visible on a day-to-day -day basis. There are 
crypto ATMs here that you can see if you go into like a casa de cambio, like a place to exchange your money. But it's not as present in the day to day uh, and kind of what people talk about. People are interested in it and I think they're learning more about it here. But I think maybe it's a little bit slower. And I just think that it's because it's a different economy um, than, than Argentina. Yeah, but something interesting here in, in Colombia is that one of the biggest banks here, Bancolombia, has really started using QR codes a lot. And this is something I've noticed, especially during the pandemic. Um, I don't know if it's just my own perception or if they've increased QR code usage, but you can go pretty much to any store and um, especially places that are maybe outside of the city and more remote. And there's a good chance that they'll accept like a transparencia, like a transfer through a QR code or through a bank account number. And it's interesting because if you, for example, have a Bank Colombia account, you can just transfer your money to um, that business's bank account automatically. It's really easy. It only takes a few seconds through the app. And there's also a startup here called Neki where you can transfer money just using a phone number. And so we're seeing some really interesting fintech solutions in Colombia. And I think people are also looking at crypto and there's a question of you know, how crypto will be part of the future of, of fintech in Colombia. Whereas I think in places like Argentina, it's a little bit more clear in terms of the use case and why people feel this urgency to use crypto. So I would say that this type of thing depends on each country. Adoption can be different depending on where you are. Um, and you know, when you talked about this connection between being online and the actual physical place, I think that all of these things matter because we hear about this idea of financial inclusion in Latin America, that really at the end of the day has to do with how people use money and their day-to-day -day lives, right? Yeah. A couple of questions here before you start wrapping up. I want to get a brain dump from you on El Salvador. I know you've done a lot of reporting on that. And I mean, obviously that's you know, El Salvador is El Salvador in the crypto world, right? It's national champion of, of Bitcoin at this point. But you know, one of the reasons I even started this platform in the first place was I, I felt like Brazil was, and I was living there at the time, but I was like, this is this market is like woefully undercovered. Like, kind of do feel the same way a bit about Latin America in general. I just I just don't have any like specific knowledge of the other countries, so that's why I started with Brazil. I, I guess I'd be interested in your thoughts on like, a do you agree with my kind of assumption here that Latin America is is sort of overlooked by crypto people, uh, and then why or why not? Oof, that's a good question. Uh... I think there's actually been a lot of interest in Latin America recently, just because of all of the unicorn companies that we have here, all of the funding. There's been a lot of interest in Latin America in terms of startups and in terms of funding in the region. So I think that crypto is part of that. There's you know companies that have a lot of funding and are in the space and are really important. And there's been there's to me there's been a lot of interest in the past few years in Latin America. I think that. El Salvador jump-started perhaps this um, conversation about Latin America that was ongoing, but I think now it's changed a little bit. So what I mean by that is what we've been talking about in terms of Argentina, for example, and Venezuela, which we haven't talked about, but is also obviously a really interesting use case for crypto. 
those countries were the focus of the conversation in Latin America for several years before El Salvador made Bitcoin legal tender. And I think what's happened since then is the conversation has shifted a little bit to which country is going to be the next to adopt Bitcoin. And, and I think that people, I'm, I'm torn because I think I've seen a lot of interest in Latin America, but I'm kind of wondering how far that will go and how the conversation will progress. And so it's been still on, a little under a year since um, El Salvador made Bitcoin legal tender in September. But I think that it's, it's caused more opportunities to talk about the region, but I think people are also just talking more in general about crypto as legal tender and this whole idea of what that even means and you know if it's relevant. Um, and also this idea of crypto adoption, um, which at some level are two different things, right? But, but this idea of a country overall accepting Bitcoin at every store or every business People are thinking about those types of things now. I mean, to the extent they're thinking about those things in terms of Latin America, I think that's a good question. I mean, I, you know, I, so I would say to answer your question, I disagree a bit because I think that people have been talking about it a lot. I'm kind of wondering where that conversation is going to go in the next year or two. Um, but I'm curious to hear why, why don't you think people focus on Latin America or what about it is undercovered in your opinion? I mean, I'm supportive of everything that's happened in El Salvador, but it it kind of just felt like people were piling on to the El Salvador narrative. The interest wasn't necessarily in the region or the country. It was just the fact that they were doing something that helps kind of advance the Bitcoiner narrative, right? The hyper-Bitcoinization narrative. They had a, you know, a charismatic, uh, you know, president of the country who he plays the crypto Twitter game well, right? So the interest wasn't necessarily in I mean, I get it. Like a domino had to fall, right? So you have to start somewhere. So I, I kind of get that. But I guess the crypto universe just still seems like heavily, you know, North American, European, and East Asian, uh, in my estimation, at least, you know, the kind of the spheres of influence of crypto. It feels like, you know, people will pay a lot of, you know, homage and like kind of virtue signaling. We're like, oh, we care about financial inclusion in these countries, regions. But then when the rubber meets the road, it's like they're, you know, they're just like not interested, right? I, I would agree with that. I think I think we have similar thoughts on that. I think there's a question of, is this interest in Latin America going to last? And is it just about the funding we've seen? Or is it about actually helping people and financial inclusion? I feel like the, the term financial inclusion gets thrown around so much. And, you know, I'm certainly no expert, but I think that it's something that we need to think about a little bit more before talking about financial inclusion and before talking about how people live in countries that maybe we've never been to, or maybe we don't speak the language, you know, because I think El Salvador showed us an example of a country making Bitcoin legal tender in a very fast way. I mean, when Bukele announced this at the Bitcoin conference uh, last June, things moved very quickly. And by September, it was already adopted and people were using Bitcoin as legal tender. And so I think we need to remember that these things don't happen that quickly. I think that I've found myself thinking like, what is the point of making Bitcoin legal tender or how important is that? Or what are we doing here? And so I think in El Salvador, it's been an interesting place to see this pan out because 
even though we've seen a lot of announcements on Twitter about uh, use of Bitcoin in El Salvador, I think that there's a lot of information that we don't know about. We well, sorry to interject. So this is kind of the next question I wanted to ask you was like, in your estimation and given your reporting and the amount of time you've spent on this question, like, like what actually is going on there, right? Because it's like, right, you hear lots of conflict, like you see Bukele on Twitter and you see Bitcoin bros on Twitter pumping this, you see Jack Mallers. Uh, and then you hear, you see other stories pop up where it's like, oh, like four out of 10 people that have downloaded the Chiva wallet and got their $30 for the Bitcoin have just like stopped using it, right? Or do, do local people like actually care about this? Or is this just like a Bitcoin, like feel good fest? Yeah, the answer depends on who you talk to. I think that one thing is that, for example, compared to Brazil, there's not as much public data that comes out regularly so that we can make comparisons about user numbers and how people are using it. So it's been a little bit difficult to get good numbers. There, there was recently an academic study that came out that showed that, or, or it seemed like people weren't using it that much anymore. Um, I, I did a lot of reporting on Chivo actually, and this was a few months ago, but people were on Twitter last December talking about some pretty serious issues with Chivo. And so in terms of public information, I would say that El Salvador doesn't provide regular public information on a regular basis about Chivo usage. Um, we don't really know. Anecdotally, people, yes, have said that a lot of people have stopped using it after getting their $30 in Bitcoin, for example. It's hard to get good numbers on that. Irrespective of, of like the Chivo wallet, you know, I, I, you know, how many people are actually using this on a day-to-day -day basis? Are people actually using this outside of, you know, the Bitcoin beach area that was, you know, the place that, that first sort of adopted it? I do think that there's been a lot of positive benefits for the country, like just looking at it kind of from the outside. I haven't been there to, you know, verify any of these things, but just, you know, they had uh, the La BitConf conference was there uh, last year, uh, which brought a lot of energy to the country. The government was heavily involved in that, or at least in, you know, kind of supporting it. I mean, they weren't, you know, it wasn't like endorsing it, but it was, they were supportive of the event. I just think like generally it's brought in a lot of like kind of good publicity to the country. I know a lot of Bitcoin people have been moving down there and, you know, so it, at least it feels like this, this is trending in the right direction, but, but yeah, it, it could be one of these situations where like if, if the wallet, it doesn't work, then, you know, why are people going to use it? Right. And especially people, I mean, I know there's a lot of controversy also around the whole, like this idea of like, oh, we're forcing people to use Bitcoin as currency, even though there was, I mean, there's a whole back and forth about that. Are we actually forcing people or are we, you know, we don't have to necessarily litigate that here, but like, in my estimation, it just feels like it's trending in the right direction. You know, that's just kind of based on, you know, anecdotes that I've been hearing. And, and so I'm, I'm generally, I'm like, I'm, like I said, I'm supportive of the whole effort. I think it's a good thing. Uh, but I do realize that Bitcoiners on Twitter will take any, you know, opportunity they can to, you know, take a victory lap or whatever. So you have to kind of look at these things with slight degree of skepticism, I suppose. I would say that one of the issues is that there's a lot of information about Chivo and about the Bitcoin implementation that we just don't know in terms of, for example, the wallet addresses and who has access and, um, you know, the, the money to fund things like Chivo Pets, that it was said that, that those funds were based on gains from Bitcoin, but 
we haven't really seen how that works. The, you know, the finance minister mentioned that there's people dedicated to trading with Chivo, but we don't really have that many details on these, you know, so-called gains from Bitcoin that we're funding this animal hospital. So there's a lot of questions about the implementation and a lack of public information, I would say. And I think that that has caused some people to be pretty skeptical of the implementation. This is the first time that they've ever used Bitcoin. So with the Chivo wallet, it's had a lot of issues and I haven't followed up recently to see how many of those have been fixed. I know that at least a few months ago, people were still tweeting about some issues uh, with the wallet, but Chivo was, was having some issues where people weren't able to make transactions correctly, where the transactions wouldn't go through. You know, I even tried sending money to someone in Chivo and the transaction failed. Uh, so yeah, but it cleared on the blockchain. So I don't know what happened to those funds, <laughs> but um, there's been problems like that with Chivo. And I think that for a lot of people, if this is the first time that you're using Bitcoin. Yeah, not the ideal experience, right? If, if when you're, if you're promoting this as some sort of, uh, you know, magical internet coin, that's going to save us from the tyrannical US dollar. And like, you can't even send a transaction with it. Yeah, and I think there was a lot of hype about the Bitcoin bonds, but meanwhile, there were people tweeting on that they that they weren't able to make transactions, that they were losing money and having these issues. And I think that for those types of reasons, it's it's been hard. I mean, the government has made efforts to fix these issues with Chivo. They've had some new people come in and they're working on fixing some of the issues. But I think that everything happened really quickly. And I think that there were some thoughts about why create Chivo when there's other wallets out there that you could use. Uh, for example, the lack of public information about some of these initiatives has really affected the implementation of, of Bitcoin in El Salvador. So there's some people who are never going to be for Bitcoin in El Salvador and who don't like it and don't agree with it. But it's fair to say that there's a lot of aspects about this implementation that we don't understand and that we don't know about. And that that's been something that's affected the way we think about this. And it's also caused this conversation about Bitcoin is legal tender and what that even means. And I think that people have been really hungry to see the next country that will adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. And I think that there might be a misconception that making Bitcoin legal tender means that you have to require all of these businesses to adopt it. And that's not necessarily the case. Uh, you know, it has more to do with settling public debt than paying for things, right, in, in most cases. So it's been interesting since covering El Salvador because people have been really looking at what's the next country and the next country. And there's been some misinformation, even with Brazil, there's been misinformation about what this regulation is. You know, I've heard this particular bill be called a Bitcoin bill. I did call it a, I did call it a Bitcoin bill in my last newsletter, but I needed like a punchy headline. <laughs> like caveated. <laughs> no, but I think, <laughs> I think the... Bitcoin is legal tender has been on the minds of everyone since El Salvador. And going back to your question about do people care about Latin America, I think that's a good question now that 
there's other countries that might be interested in making Bitcoin legal tender. And we're starting to look at that. Last question before we wrap up here, we'll ask this as almost like sort of a public service that will maybe make your job a bit easier, but you're obviously covering uh, the whole region of LATAM and Brazil. Like what are some of the themes you're most excited about for the rest of the year? Like what stories are you looking to write? What narratives are you looking to cover? What can folks do to reach out to you or to float ideas past you, et cetera? Sure. I'm really interested in the policies and regulations around Bitcoin across Latin America. And I think I'm really interested in how communities are using Bitcoin or interesting grassroots led projects in different countries. So if there's anyone that's working on an interesting project in Latin America, whether it be with crypto or fintech, really focusing on solving problems in these particular countries, maybe countries that we haven't heard as much about. We, you know, we've covered Brazil, we've covered El Salvador. You know, I'm interested to hear in what, what's happening in other parts of the world as well. And if you're a developer and you're working on something interesting, I'd love to talk to you. So thank you so much, Kristen, for, for coming on. And, and where can people find you or learn more about you or reach out to you? You can reach out to me through email. My email is Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N dot M-A-J-C-H-E-R at theblockcrypto.com. That's my email. I'm also on Twitter as K underscore Mach. So K underscore M-A-J-C-H. And you can also read my stories um, on the Block website as well. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Kristen. Really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to having you again soon. Thank you. Bye. Obrigado, everyone. And thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the Brazil Crypto Report newsletter on Substack if you haven't already. And please do give the show a five-star rating on your podcast app if you enjoyed this content. We'll be back soon with another great guest.